We are LP Magazine, and since 2001, we've been the leader in providing content and education for the loss prevention and asset protection industry, and we are known as the voice and authority of the LP community. Each episode, we'll be sharing and discussing the latest in trends and current issues related to all things retail and profit protection. You're listening to the LPM Podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone. To Two Cents on Two Things. I'm your host, Kevin McMenamin, the Chief Operating Officer for Loss Prevention Magazine and LPM Media Group. Our guest today is Tom Arigi, the Director of Asset Protection and Safety for Kroger. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thank you, Kevin. Great to see you. Great to see you as well. Our sponsor today is Prime Secured. Prime has actually been the proud sponsor of several of these podcasts on Two Cents on Two Things. Prime has enjoyed a great amount of success in the retail sector, assisting clients in providing a safe and secure environment for their employees, visitors, and physical assets. And they've been very happy to give back in the form of charitable donations, uh, as well as in supporting this podcast. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means with the charitable donations in just a little bit. But uh, let's uh, let's start with uh, hearing from Tom and get his two cents on two things. So Tom, I've got a, a board here that I think you're fairly familiar with. Um, we've gone through a couple of these and I've given you a chance to, to decide which ones you might go with. Um, we've got three different uh, categories of personal, professional, and political. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, let's see which one you want to go with. All right. Well, Kevin, this one was a little tough for me because um, you know I was drawn to that disruptive technology category. Um, but let's go with uh, vendor relations, and who knows, it may lead to some discussion on disruptive technology. I don't know. All right, vendor relations it is. Excellent. Well, Tom, let's get your, uh, your two cents on, uh, on vendor relations. Yeah, you know, um, for, for me, early on in my career, it seemed that, you know, uh, I, I think our vendor partners had it pretty tough. And what I mean by that is it seemed one-sided. There really wasn't uh, much partnership, I thought. Uh, and it was really on the retailer side of not being a partnership. Um, and if, if I was at, in that vendor community, I, I, I think it would feel like a grind. Um, I watched in some cases where, uh, heck, people weren't treated with respect. Uh, in fact, uh, if in some cases I thought, man, if we treated our own associate like we treated that particular individual because there happened to be a problem or something on it, it probably wouldn't have been tolerated. So to me, that that never made sense. What I've learned over my career is that when you have a solution provider that you're working with, you have to go into that um, thinking that this is going to be a true partnership. Um, and what I mean by a true partnership is having very clear expectations and understanding both, both ways, right? Um, um, having great communication and, and great follow-up. Um, collaboration comes to mind and a shared vision, right? Because a, a true partnership has a shared vision. Um, when I think about the, uh, the solution providers I deal with today, they, they make sure that it's very apparent they have skin in the game. Um, I mean, you can really tell that um, they want to help um, and they feel like if you don't win, they're not. Uh, and, and that's not the case in, in every uh, individual I've dealt with, but the really, really great ones, um, they, they really have that ability to make that um, apparent. The other thing I'd say, Kevin, is they're great, active listeners. Um, um, they, they do a great job of listening. Um, they understand what the pain, point, pain points are, and if it's not clear, they keep, 
keep talking to you about it until it is clear. Um, they talk through and, and collaborate on potential solutions to those pain points. Um, they continue to adapt. Uh, you know, I can think of, of one um, uh, vendor that, you know, we started out with, this is what we want to do. And over time, that, that solution has evolved and it will continue to evolve. It's a platform for a lot, uh, a lot of other things. Um, and, then, um, and then they really bring to you maybe what is new. And that can potentially help, not to try and sell it, but because it fits in with the, the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, so to me, that, that's, that's the key of uh, a great relationship between, in our case, a retailer and that solution provider. And that, well, and you, know, you wanted to start with disruptive technology, right? And you, you kind of almost cross into that because part of what you're looking for in a solution provider is to make sure that they bring you you know, you mentioned what's new, but you know, what is that cutting edge? What's going to help me solve my my problem better or my next problem? Right. That's right. That that's spot on. And so, um, you know, uh, over the last few years, uh, video analytics uh, and machine learning have, have really become almost the norm. And uh, today, it's kind of funny if that camera isn't smart, if it isn't more of a sensor than a camera, then you know, you're probably missing uh, missing the point. Um, so as an industry, we've said for a long time now, we've got to make uh, uh, decisions based on data and be very, very smart about those decisions. And I think advances in AI and advances in, um, in uh, video analytics will help us do that. And not only help us in a way that um, gives us better information, um, but I, you know, some, something that I've challenged our team to think about and others outside the organization to think about is, and this term is going to drive everybody nuts because I think it's overused, but man, it's the perfect description, which is how do you create an ecosystem, right? And so in today's world, I've got all these solutions, right? And, and when Mike was here, he, uh, he talked about hardening the target. And we, and we do that a number of different ways with a number of different solutions. And those are all great. Um, but to make them even better, how do you ensure that one solution can communicate with another solution so that it becomes even even more powerful over time, rather than operating independently. And so I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that um, I, I think I, it's great that we, um, we invested in it here was Percheck. So if you're not familiar with that, if the shopping cart doesn't dwell at a, at a self-checkout or, or, or a, a staff uh, checkout, if it bypasses all that, it locks up the wheels when it gets into the vestibule. And that's great technology. But what would make that better is if I've got CCTV out in the parking lot, uh, could that live view tower understand that there's an alarm going off in the store, zoom in and see what's going on and provide me additional insights? Can, can that per check device ping my leadership team in the store on their radio and say, you've got an alarm going off in case you don't know that. So I'm going on in your vestibule, right? And so how do you get all these technologies to talk to each other? And then really more importantly, because I think that's probably the easier part. I think the, the more difficult thing about that may be one solution provider being comfortable talking to another solution provider that says, look, we, this is a great product. This is a great product, but when they talk to each other, it makes it even better. And, and you're right. It, that can be a little difficult because people start to worry about the, the competitive nature of that. But, um, but especially when you can have products that complement each other rather than compete with each other, you know, what, a, what a great strategic alliance that can be when you can make those partnership ha partnerships that's, happen. That's spot on. That's yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Now, um, 
let me ask you this. So we talk about solution providers and we, and, and it's, it's a, it's an interesting term because when we talk about a solution provider as a company and a solution provider as the individual, you know, from that company. Right. Um, and everything that you're saying, I think actually, you know, obviously really applies to both, but if we took it from the company to that individual and that one-on-one relationship, what are some of the important things that you've seen in those individuals that are, um, that, that stand out in your mind as being great solution providers or great uh, and great partners? Yeah. So, so we'll get past the, the point that the solution works for us, right? Because, because now you're in a partnership. So once you're in that relationship, um, I, I know of individuals um, that they're, they're that this, the sentence goes something like, like this, that person is great because uh, and, and so great is always followed up with when I have a problem, all I got to do is make a phone call and I know it's going to be corrected, corrected the right way and corrected quickly. Um, and I think um, those individuals that have that reputation, um, it builds trust. And, you know, probably the most important thing between um, two individuals is trust. And if, if, if I trust if I trust an individual to uh, apply their solution at a, at a, in a Kroger, for an example, um, then I've got to trust that when there's a problem, there's always going to be problems. So having a problem isn't the issue. It's how you react to that problem, right? And um, so, um, so to me, that's probably the number one thing. And I, look, I've never been on that side of the, um, uh, the business, but I would think having a great product and when there are issues, resolving them really, really quickly, and if they can't be resolved, just continue to follow up, right? Uh, and here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing until it gets corrected, uh, I think uh, is a really, really important trait. You got to take ownership, right? I mean, that's, and that's part of what, um, you know, I, I think is important from that, that perspective, right? Sometimes, like you said, there are going to be problems and sometimes they can't be solved overnight, you know, but you need to take ownership of them and you need to, to see them through and, and, and see that they get fixed, you know? That's right. That's yeah. spot on. Excellent. Well, I was going to ask you the number one thing, but you just gave me the number one thing. So, um, so let's close out vendor relations and let's, uh, let's move on to our next uh, topic and let's have you pick, are we going to go personal, professional or political for your second topic? Um, Well, let's, let's go personal. How about uh, favorite hobbies? Favorite hobbies. All right, there we go. All right, Tom. So give us your two cents on, uh, on your favorite hobby. So, um, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy um, doing is, is fishing. And to me, it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, in saltwater fishing or freshwater fishing. If I'm fishing, I'm in a really good place. And, and Kevin, I, I think my love for, not I think, I know my love for fishing really came from my dad. And, um, you know, when I was really young, my dad was the authority figure in our house, right? Um, and so, candidly, I, I was just a little bit afraid of him. Um, and uh, when I turned 15, it, we, we would go fishing when I was younger, but he and I took a trip up to northern Minnesota when I turned 15. I had my learner's permit. My, by the way, my dad's car was his baby. And so I felt a little bit of change. Even as we were driving up to Minnesota, he let me drive his car uh, on a learner's permit. So it was the start of a change for me. And so, um, and so we went up to northern Minnesota. And we went walleye fishing. And look, if you ever see walleye on the menu, you got to order it. I don't, you probably had it, but for those really? that have it, wonderful. I think I've had it in Minnesota. 
Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So uh, that's that's my uh, tip of the day for uh, next time you see walleye on the menu, get it. Um, but anyway, over the next seven years, my dad and I made an annual trip. Uh, it turned we ended up going up to Ontario, uh, Canada a lot, uh, mostly walleye fishing. Um, and uh, you know, not only was that the start of my passion around fishing. Um, but I also got a whole lot of time out of spending time with my dad on the lake. And, um, and I started to see my dad transition from a father figure, who maybe I was just a little bit afraid of, um, to becoming, you know, really what today at 92, he's still my most trusted advisor. Wow, and, that's fantastic. And, yeah, and, and as I think about that, you know, we used to get in this little, I don't know what it was, 12, 16 foot aluminum boat with a little 9.9 horsepower on the back. And you spent seven or eight hours on that lake. And when you do that with somebody enough, you really, really get to know them. Um, and, you know, we had all sorts of great topics uh, that we would discuss. There was really nothing off the table. We talked about business, you know, he was a businessman. So uh, it was kind of fascinating to me to listen to him, especially as, as I started thinking about my own career, um, to, about his his experiences in business and what really made him successful and, and what he saw in his, the people that worked with him that maybe um, you know, made them not so successful. Um, politics, finances, money. I mean, he, I remember the first time he told me how much he made. I never knew that. I mean, I, but you know, that, that was kind of cool. So, um, so, um, so, so, you know, it, it drove a relationship, a really, really close relationship and when it was quiet, I mean, there were quiet times in that boat. And when it was quiet, it was very relaxing. I found the scenery and the water. And, you know, every once in a while, I see a bear on the, or a moose on the, on the shoreline. Uh, even today, Kevin, when I'm out there on a lake or, or uh, on a boat fishing, uh, it melts the, the stress away uh, for me. I um, bet. I bet. Yeah. And, and there was, there was a lot of firsts on those fishing trips uh, that, I, that I think about. And so I, I had my first beer with my dad uh, on one of those fishing trips. Wow. Now, how old was, how old were you? Or, or can we say that? Um, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'm okay with it. I was probably 16, maybe. Uh, uh, okay. I think maybe it was our second. Uh, now, now, that was my first beer with my dad. I will, yeah. I will qualify that. Uh, oh, um, yeah. I was going to say, and when was the first time you had a beer? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but, but he doesn't need to know that. He just exactly. Knows, right. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I think I got, was feeling pretty good on, on one beer. Uh, and he still made <laughs> that today. We were up in Canada and, you know, there they have uh, 3.2 beer and regular beer and they take that regular beer and they stamp it as strong. And yeah. so he gave me this big, long story about, man, one beer, you better be careful, son, because it's strong beer. Uh, and it worked. I mean, I think psychologically I was drunk on one beer. Um, he, uh, my dad always smoked, he doesn't anymore, but he always smoked those really big Churchill cigars. Oh, wow. So I had my first cigar with him. Uh, in, in fact, um, I, I remember, you know, I had this cigar, I didn't know what I was doing with it. And I was, I was, I was trying to clear a knot, um, on my fishing line and that cigar burnt my line and I lost my, my, my lure out into the lake. And that was the first time my, my dad heard me swear as well. Um, so, uh, so anyway, there's a, there was a lot of rite of passage stuff going on, uh, and exactly. really, really fun memories that, that we joke about today. That's awesome. Now you're a, you're a father now. What about you fishing with your kids? Have you passed on this tradition? Are they fishing too? They, they, they are. In fact, um, I've got, um, three kids, 
my oldest is a boy, um, my middle child is a girl, and my youngest is a boy. And my oldest son and my daughter, they both love to fish. Um, my youngest son has no patience. <laughs> Um, and, and he'll admit to it. Uh, now, if he knew that fishing was only a small part of it, maybe I could get him out there. But uh, so the tradition continues. Um, in fact, um, I don't know, it's probably been about 10 years ago now. My two brothers, my dad and my oldest son, we all went up to Canada to kind of um, uh, relive some of those memories. And uh, we just we just had a great time. So uh, so anyway. That's wonderful. Uh, but, yeah. When they were young, they loved to fish. And, and, and now, unfortunately, work gets in the way and families get in the way, but uh, still, still, a lot of, still a lot of good, good memories from that. That's wonderful. When I was a little kid, I used to go on, uh, on Saturday mornings, I would go with two friends of mine that were neighbors, and we'd get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning, go out and dig for worms, and we'd grab the worms, and we'd go down to this little reservoir, and we'd fish, and we wouldn't catch anything, but we'd just have a great time, and we'd sit and eat little bags of Fruit Loops, and, and drink juice boxes, and whatever, and um, although I think back then, we probably didn't even drink juice box. I'm probably remembering it differently. It was probably a baggie with juice in it that we made our own <laughs> juice box before there were juice boxes. But, um, and I remember seeing the fish would come right up to the hook and then they'd swim away. And I got really mad one morning and I, I, I had a handful of Fruit Loops in my hand and I threw them at the water and I'm like, damn, you know, and I, I threw them down and the fish came over and all of a sudden bloop, ate the Fruit Loops. So we now got to sleep in till six because we could just get up and bring extra Fruit Loops, put them on the hook and we would pull fish out all day long. <laughs> I, I taught my kids how to fish on corn on a hook, just like that. Oh, there you go. Canned corn. There you go. That's funny. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. Well, thank you for your two cents on that. Uh, great. You know, it's it's um, it's always great to be able to pass on a family tradition and uh, and to be able to share those stories with everyone and, and uh, let them both get to know you a little bit better and also get to maybe think about uh, how they might take some of those family traditions uh, of their own and, and take them back to their family. So great stuff. Uh, let's go back to the board. Your favorite charity. Um, tell me a little bit about Free Store Food Bank. Yeah, you know, um, Maureen, and I, Maureen and I, my wife, have always felt um, it had a soft spot uh, for families that um, experience food insecurity. And so when we moved here, it was one of the things that um, we wanted to establish right away. Like, who locally can help some of the, uh, the families um, that maybe uh, that that maybe don't know where their next meal is coming from, and and so I can't think of a worse thing. I mean, you know, my whole life I've never I've never um, experienced that thought process. Like I'm hungry and I don't know where I'm going to get food. I can't imagine raising kids and and not knowing what, how I'm going to feed my kids um, their next meal, or maybe even where my like I said where my own meal comes from. So. Um, that's got to be a horrible anxiety for any parent or any individual I have to go through. So um, the Free Star Food Bank is the largest food service provider for, for families and children in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, they do about uh, 38 million meals annually for low income. Oh, my goodness. Families. That's fantastic. Um, and so um, they help out places like uh, food kitchens and homeless shelters and food pantries. And so, um, you know, Maureen and I have only lived here about a year now, but um, but we feel really, really good about support um, and what and the work that they do. So uh, so so that that that's who the, that's who my favorite charity is and what's all about. Excellent. Well, for those uh, listening uh, that can't see the screen here, if you go to uh, Free Store, that's Free F R E E Store S T O R E Food Bank, one word, Free Store Food Bank. 
www.thepatriotsocialist.org, or you can donate by phone by calling 513-482-3663, or you can donate by text if you text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-709-0969 and help support uh, Tom's favorite charity. We're going to do our part, uh, Tom, and we're making a $500 donation to the uh, Free Store Food Bank uh, in your name. So we'll start the process and hopefully some other folks will, will join us as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Kevin. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Two quick things before we go. Um, right. I, there's, we did talk a little bit about, so I'm, I know which ones I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you. So let's start with uh, your personal hero. All right. Well, look, I, um, I it's probably not going to be a surprise based on uh, our earlier conversation, but <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, and talk about my two personal heroes. Uh, and that's my mom and dad. Um, you know, uh, my, I'm the youngest of six. Uh, and so uh, I'm just amazed um, by the fact that they were able to raise six kids. You know, we all turned out pretty good, uh, I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I think about having three, right? I, I tried to talk Maureen into six when we first got married and her response was, um, you can have six. I'm not having six. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, my, my favorite quote from my mom, or not my favorite quote, but the, the amazing thing that my mom talks about is she goes, you know, at one point I had four kids under four years old. And, and by the way, there's no twins or triplets in that number. I mean, it's four kids in a row. Well, isn't that um, called Irish twins, though, or something like that? <laughs> that's exactly right. She, she is 100% Irish. Uh, so uh, so that, that fits really, really well. Um, and so... Uh, so it, it just it just amazes me that um, you know we didn't have a lot growing up, but we had everything we did. We didn't know any better, and um, having five older brothers and sisters. In fact, my mom and dad had uh, my three sisters and then three boys. So we we're a little bit of like the Brady Bunch, three and three, uh, and we grew up in this little. Um, it was I guess it was three bedrooms, but the two of the bedrooms were on the attic. So so you went up the steps and you went left, and the three boys were in that side, and the three girls were in that side, and and we had one bathroom. Uh, and in today's world, I think most kids would, uh, would, would, would not be happy with that situation. No, no, they would not. <laughs> in fact, Kevin, I took my, uh, my kids past that house uh, in North Riverside, Illinois, which is a western suburb of Chicago. And I said, this is where I grew up. And my youngest son, who, ha- who has no patience, by the way, he looked at that house and he goes, were you guys poor when you lived here? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I said, no, we weren't poor at all. Uh, we had everything we needed. So uh, it is amazing how uh, perspectives have changed over the years. I probably spoil the kids too much is what that, what that means. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I actually share your, your uh, personal hero story because I would uh, actually put my parents in the, and, and hold them in the same high regard. So, um, uh, I, but although I, I got to say that I can see they'd be your personal hero with five uh, older siblings, um, they should be your heroes just for keeping you alive. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly. Well, look, I was a mama's boy, so no, so nobody messed with me when I was young. Um, so look, I had the best of both worlds. When I was young, I was a mama's boy, and um, and I and I and I, my mom has a great sense of humor. I think she passed a little bit of that sense of humor over to me. And then as I grew a little bit older and getting closer to my dad, he instilled a lot of great uh, uh, a lot a lot of great thought processes. I think in me and um, and between the two of them. Um, Stindy might argue this, but I tell you, 
um, they, between the two of them, gave me a little bit of common sense too to help me get through. <laughs> or at least you like to think so. <laughs> I like to think so. Yes, yeah, exactly. anyone argue it, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Second, second quick thing is, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because we know it wasn't an LP executive. I have still yet to meet anybody who said, "When I grow up, I will be a loss prevention executive." Yeah, who who knew what that was? Who knew, right? Yeah, who knew? Yeah. Um, I, when I was younger, um, I think I was about eight years old, Kevin. The first time I flew on a plane, and you know, back then when you were that young, they would they would you know see you come on and they would take you into the cockpit and the pilots would talk to you and show you a bunch of different things and pin those plastic wings on you. And uh, between flying that jet and um, those cool uniforms, I, I would tell my mom and dad all the time, I want to be a pilot when I grow up. And so um, that passion still exists. I love to fly. Uh, and, you know, on my bucket list, I guess, uh, uh, when, when, when I retire, I'm going to get my pilot's license. That's one of the things I'm looking for. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, there, see, now there's a, there's a third thing we didn't know about you is that when you retire, you're going to get your pilot's license. I'll tell you, I, I went to an air show, um, one of those like, you know, country air show things where they have all the different little types of, they had the, the uh, biplanes. Yep. And um, I remember I was probably like early, I'm probably about 20 years old or so. And I got to ride in the biplane, the front of the biplane. Wow. And, and it was really, it was kind of cheesy too, because they actually had one of the, um, they had like a, a makeshift like gun at the front that you could hold onto the little handles <laughs> and then with the Red Baron, I guess. But um, it was open cockpit though. And they'd take you up. And um, I'll tell you, I, at first I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this experience, but boy, I'll tell you, there was nothing like that. That was, it was such an amazing experience to go up like that. And I thought I, I had the same goal. It's been on my bucket list to, to learn how to fly that and helicopters. I would love to learn how to fly a helicopter, which I understand is so much more difficult than the, uh, you know, like the, the, the smaller planes and stuff. And obviously the jets are, are a far different story, but um, but I'll tell you, he, I remember the guy looked at me and you had to pay a certain rate for, uh, for like a regular ride versus like the acrobatic ride. And I said, well, you know, he said, which one? I said, just the regular ride. And he said, well, you look more like the acrobatic ride. And I said, well, I would, if I had the extra, you know, $30, He's, he said, let me see what we can do. Boy, we looped and flipped and it was, wow. it was amazing, but I love yeah. to fly as well. I love the, I love the travel side of, of what we do. Um, I know you travel a lot like I do and we've shared some of those stories. So, uh, so there you have it. There's, uh, there's two quick things about Tom Arigi and, uh, and Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your two cents on two things. Uh, thanks for talking about your favorite charity, the, the uh, free store food bank. And again, I want to thank our sponsor prime secured uh, who has uh, been a fantastic supporter. Um, and I hope that everybody listening will check out prime secured prime communications uh, check them out and see uh, what they do and, and learn a little bit more about them, reach out to them and, and be as supportive to them as they have both to us and to the industry. So uh, thank you, Tom. And uh, for everyone listening, thank you. This has been Two Cents on Two Things, uh, a, a limited series podcast from LPM Podcast. Take care, Tom. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs>